You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. You know what cheers me up? What? Rolled up aces over kings. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. The House of Cards. Today, the game is different. With author and professional poker player Ashley Adams. Okay, we have some skill. Hi, listeners. It's Ashley Adams. Welcome to House of Cards. We have a very good show, two very interesting guests. The first we've had on before, Joe Navarro, who wrote 200 Poker Tells. We'll be talking to him about how to get a good read on your opponents. We also have a more serious subject, but a wonderfully interesting guest, a guy named Bert Dragan, who's a professor at Laney College out in Oakland, and he's going to talk about his book, Six to Five Against, The Gambler's Odyssey, which is a look at compulsive gambling. And he's even going to uh, put me on the chair and ask me some questions so I can reveal whether I'm a compulsive gambler or just an obsessive poker player. So stay tuned. We'll also have a brief section of Mailbag. We'll be right back. Hey, you're looking for poker tournaments or the latest promotions at Foxwoods, Mohegan Sun, and Twin River? Or want to find out what's happening in Las Vegas, Atlantic City, and other casinos around the country? Then check out New England Gaming News for all the latest news, events, and hot casino action from around the region. Visit NEGN.com and sign up for exclusive specials and promotions. That's www.thenegn.com. The New England Gaming News, New England's only resource for complete casino and poker news. What's the big deal at Seneca Gaming and Entertainment? Live action poker. Endless chances to win. Guaranteed prize pool. Tournament. Daily events. A bad beat jackpot. Omaha stud and everyone's favorite Texas Hold'em. And thousands of dollars in guaranteed tournament action. Now that's a big deal. Exciting Vegas style poker. Just off exit 20 on I-86 in Salamanca, New York. Across from McDonald's. Online at SenecaPoker.com. Seneca Gaming and Entertainment. Your new destination for a better game. for us to do something. This is all getting way out of hand. What do you mean? The song is sweet. You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. 
You're listening to the House of Cards. How lucky you are. With Ashley Adams. I'm kind of a big deal. People know me. Who the hell do you think you are? Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards, a special welcome back to our listeners. We have a guest, a very special guest, a guy we've talked about, in fact, talked to on this show before. He is many things. He's a retired FBI agent. He's a body language specialist, and he's breathing very heavily into his phone, which he's got to stop to do because that is really disruptive. (laughs) It's Joe Navarro, who's just written a new book. I shouldn't say just written, but he's recently written a new book called 200 Poker Tales. Joe, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Well, I'm really glad you're here. Tell our listeners in a little more detail about how it is that you are maybe the foremost expert, maybe after Mike Carroll, but certainly up there in the stratosphere of experts on Poker Tales, how you came to develop your skills. Well, uh, first of all, thanks for having me here. And uh, how I got to poker was quite by accident. I had uh, shot a uh, show with uh, Annie Duke for Discovery Channel on uh, Deception, and she began to uh, tell people about some of the things that we had talked about and I had shared with her. And then uh, just out of the blue one day, Phil Helmuth uh, called me up and said, hey, I'm putting on a poker uh, academy. Uh, I'd like for you to come and teach. And I said, uh, you know, I, I really don't know that much about poker. And he says, uh, don't care. I, you know, I like the stuff you teach about body language and, uh, and, and please come out. And uh, in a nutshell, that's how it all, um, it all got started. So since that time, you've written two books. The first, <clears throat> the one I first read was Read em and We, uh, Read em and Reap, R-E-A-P, which is about body language in poker. What's the difference between that book and this one, 200 Poker Tells? Well, quite a bit because um, Read em and Reap, um, I actually wrote reluctantly because Phil, Phil Helmuth, uh, the, the very day I taught uh, in, in Las Vegas, he said to me, I want you to write a book about Poker Tells. And I said, look, you know, I, I'm just starting in to observe uh, poker players and so forth. I can write something, um, but it's not going to be complete. And in the end... After about a year and a half, um, I had about 120 uh, poker uh, tells uh, that I had been able to. Uh, I'm sorry, I had about uh, 84 uh, poker tells that I had been able to observe. Um, and over the years, I had been uh, doing some teaching and, and observing and so forth, and I had been collecting other poker tells that I was able to uh, verify. And uh, last year, about May, I I sat down and I took out, I have this little black book where I I put all the tells that I observed and I had collected. And when I added them up, there were about 220, 230. And when I uh, synthesized them, uh, they came down to about 200. And so that was the the driving force. So there's there's quite a few more than there were in... um, and read them and reap um, uh, significantly more. Number one and number two, I had listened to what poker players had said. They, you know, they, uh, a lot of people really enjoyed read them and reap. It brought a lot of science to the study of uh, of uh, tells. 
But they said, um, we don't like the way you write because it's, there's too much narrative. We just want the, the gold nuggets. And so that's what I did. I wrote it so that, you know, when you look at it, uh, you, you have in one paragraph a very brief, succinct, but powerful uh, description of a validated uh, poker tell. Right. And then you you have them categorized. But can you tell our listeners, I read through mm-hmm. all 200 of them, and I found yeah. you know, some are – some are a little ambiguous because you even put it in the tell that this can be one thing, but it can be something else also, and you got to pay attention yep. to it. Can you just tell our listeners who have never read your work some yep. of the broader categories of tells that you tie to the research that you've done and the experience that you've had as an FBI agent, some of the broader things that you bring into the poker literature as far as tells? Sure. So, you know, when, when uh, you know, as an FBI agent, my primary job was to observe people. I observed them uh, before they committed crimes, while they were committing crimes, after they committed crimes, and during interviews. And so, you know, one of the things that you look for is a high degree of comfort or a high degree of, uh, of discomfort, confidence or lack of confidence. Well, I used to see that in interviews. And in poker, you see the same thing. You see uh, people who are very comfortable with their hand, uh, people who think it could go either way, and people who are uh, very marginal or very weak. Um, And psychologically, our bodies reflect how we feel in real time. And so what, what, what this book tries to do, and you're absolutely right, some tells are more accurate than other tells. But one of the things that I was um, very careful with was to, when I saw these uh, tells, to verify them at least two, three, four, five times with different people. And it gave me insight into whether a player was perceiving themselves as marginal or weak or marginal or strong or very strong. And as you know, it, you know, in poker, it's, it's the, how you feel about your cards is really reality. It's it, reality right. isn't what the cards say. It's how you perceive yourself. That's right, Joe. I'm going and, to just say we have to take a quick commercial break. I'm going to ask you to hold on. And to our listeners, we'll be back in just about half a minute, maybe a minute. And then we'll continue this discussion on some of the specific things that you detail in your book, 200 Poker Tells. Joe Navarro, listeners, stay tuned. We'll be right back. What's the big deal at Seneca Gaming and Entertainment? Live action poker. Endless chances to win. Guaranteed prize pool. Tournament. Daily events. A bad beat jackpot. Omaha stud and everyone's favorite Texas Hold'em. And thousands of dollars in guaranteed tournament action. Now that's a big deal. Exciting Vegas style poker. Just off exit 20 on I-86 in Salamanca, New York. Across from McDonald's. Online at SenecaPoker.com. Seneca Gaming and Entertainment. Your new destination for a better game. 
Hey, you looking for poker tournaments or the latest promotions at Foxwoods, Mohegan Sun, and Twin River? Or want to find out what's happening in Las Vegas, Atlantic City, and other casinos around the country? Then check out New England Gaming News for all the latest news, events, and hot casino action from around the region. Visit the NEGN.com and sign up for exclusive specials and promotions. That's www.thenegn.com. The New England Gaming News, New England's only resource for complete casino and poker news. This, this is, is the House of Cards. This is your poker education. Let's play some cards. Welcome back, listeners. We're still here with Joe Navarro, who is just getting into the meat of his new book, 200 Poker Tales. And, Joe, you were talking about how players, and of course your work was with suspects, but that players Mm -hmm. can betray whether they are comfortable or uncomfortable with their hands, uh, with their body language. Can you get into some specifics now about the types of things that you detail in your book, 200 Poker Tales, that uh, an observant poker player might see to clue him in on whether his opponent is comfortable or uncomfortable? Oh, sure. Uh, I, I was just in Vegas uh, last week, and I saw it once again. Uh, posture. Oftentimes when a, pot, when a player is, uh, is strong, significantly strong, you'll see the, the body posture changes. Maybe they'll sit up a little higher. Uh, they'll be a little bit more attentive to what's going on in uh, in the on the on the board. Um, their 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 shoulders may be square, or um, they may sit with their arms further apart. We become very territorial when we feel strong and confident. Uh, when we're weak, we tend to withdraw our arms. And uh, this is something that we really don't pay attention to. Uh, you know, you read the book, and you're aware of this. Very few people in the world are aware of this. Uh, we don't really pay attention to, the, um, to our fingers, and yet we know, both from research and from observation, that when we're confident and strong, the space between our fingers increases. And when we're weak or scared or troubled, uh, we bring our fingers together. And, of course, in the extreme, when we are frightened or are very concerned, we tend to uh, tuck our thumbs underneath our fingers. Now, this is a behavior that's not very well uh, understood or written about. I've been writing about it for years, um, but it, it tends to be, on, with some players in particular, very, very accurate. That's good. Now, I have a question, kind of a curveball. Have you yep. noticed or have you heard that with the advance of your literature and the spreading of your work, that people, that good poker players have incorporated it and have deliberately been giving off false tells? Oh, that, that's a great question, and that is absolutely uh, uh, the truth. In fact, uh, I, well, I won't give his name away, but he was at the main event. Um, he was uh, playing just the other day, and when I ran into him, um, he was telling me how he uses the thumbs-up displays and steepling to uh, sort of subtly transmit to other people that he's uh, tr- uh, strong and, uh, and confident. Um, and I've had a lot of uh, both professionals and, and amateurs tell me that since uh, uh, Read Him and Reap came out, they're, they're doing a lot more of this. Now, what's interesting is you also have a lot of players that 
are totally, uh, you know, so preoccupied with their cell phones or watching video games or television that sometimes they miss all these tells, and so uh, the best acting is uh, is wasted on them. But uh, yeah, significantly. Uh, we, we've seen an, an increase uh, in that. So if that's the case, if players are deliberately using the tells that you've written about, others have written about mm-hmm. to try to fake out their opponents, are there anything, are there any tells that you could point to two or three or four that seem to be more authentic, that seem to be less faked than others so that the poker player might say, well, that's something you really can't fake, like eyes dilating or, you know, whatever. Now, that's that's also a great question, and there are. Well, first, we look for behaviors that are very immediate. The, the quicker, the faster we know, okay, the, that's driven by the brain without having to think about it. But there are some behaviors that are extremely accurate. For instance, the nose crinkle, where the person crinkles their nose up like you would imagine somebody going, ew. Um, right. that, is very, that is very authentic. It happens very quick. It's an automatic response to something negative. You usually see it when a player looks at his whole cards and, and they don't like it. The other one you, you, you see is a lot of uh, lip compression, uh, lip massaging, um, the disappearance of lips. Most people don't know what their lips look like. But the minute we're stressed, the minute we have issues, the, minutes we're, the minute we're concerned about something, our lips disappear. And I, I would have to say the third one would be any kind of neck touching, an immediate neck touching and uh, and so forth is uh, is often a good indicator that something's uh, bothering us but uh, but the one area where you know I, as you know there were like 24 25 items in the area of the hands is look for the uh, the thumbs that um, all of a sudden when the uh, let's say when the flop comes out the thumbs disappear or are tucked in under the fingers extremely accurate around the world we see this behavior a person lacks confidence, they're concerned, uh, or they perceive themselves as uh, as weak. This is all very good stuff, and I'm wondering if you've ever explored the possibility of coming out with videos or CDs so that you can narrate actual images so people can see not just the words but the physical images that you're talking about. Well, you know, if, if you go to my website, joenavarro.net, uh, there are some videos out there that, that I have that I have done uh, with uh, dealing with, uh, with poker. And uh, WSOP Academy now has an online uh, course, and those, those things uh, are available. Uh, but you can also go to YouTube, and I've, I've done about 20 or 25 different uh, um, hits on YouTube uh, dealing with uh, with uh, poker tell. So there's a lot of information out there. And you know, I also tell people, you know, don't just read my stuff. Uh, Mike Carroll's book is still very relevant. Um, I don't have the final say on tells. Um, we can always learn from other people. And I and I hope somebody comes along later and, and writes 300 tells. Uh, <laughs> I'd be pleased to see that too. Are you working on anything right now? Well, I just came out with another book uh, for uh, for professionals called uh, Clues to Deceit. Uh, that's also available both on Amazon and, and through my uh, website. But you have and... to be a professional to buy it? Is that what you're telling us? Oh, no, 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 no. I designed, <laughs> it, I, I designed it for professionals because I run into a lot of people that, for instance, in human resources, uh, people who do due diligence, a lot of attorneys who do um, – 
uh, interviewing, and, and obviously for police officers and so forth, um, they they love this because uh, they can carry it on their iPhone or their iTouch. Um, they can download it to Kindle, or you know they can get the the print version of it. And you have a quick guide because a lot of people think that uh, covering your mouth, looking this way or that way, are indicators of deception. That's absolutely wrong. There are no uh, single indicators of deception. There are indicators of discomfort. There are indicators of uh, lack of confidence or issues. But uh, And this clarifies uh, a lot of, of what people are seeing and, and uh, precisely what it means. Have you ever been a, uh, an expert witness in a trial? I have. I have, in fact, uh, in, in a trial down in... Um, uh, in uh, Sarasota, I testified last year, and of course I, I testified in quite a few uh, uh, espionage trials uh, uh, throughout the 90s and uh, and all the way in uh, to uh, 2001. Yeah. Was your testimony related to you observing people and saying, I think he looks nervous, or what kind of stuff did you testify about? Well, exactly, testifying to behavior which was consistent with someone who was about to commit a crime or... Um, had committed a crime, and then this is the the behavior that we would uh, would would see. So uh, I'll give you an example: uh, three individuals who were um, canvassing a store to see if they could rob it. Uh, they would look back and forth. Uh, they would one at a time would go in, look around, come out, and then they would conspiratorially uh, talk to each other in uh-huh. the corner. Then, then, then go back, and then when finally, when one of them was uh, was patted down, the officer, uh, you know, the officer found that uh, the, the the person did indeed have have a gun. Right. And uh, you know, cases like this tell us that nonverbal communications tell us what people are thinking. Well, Joe, you're a great guest. I have a million other questions. We don't have any time for me to ask them yet. Maybe you'll come on. Yeah. We can talk about your next book or your poker exploits. But uh, Joe Navarro. 200 Poker Tells, you're a great guest. I wouldn't want to be sitting opposite you at the poker table, even if you didn't know how to play. Thanks for joining us. Take care. It's great to be here. (laughs) Okay, Joe. Take care. That was Joe Navarro, 200 Poker Tells. We'll be right back after a break. Hey, Jersey, we want to hear from you. Send us an email at info at houseofcardsradio.com or leave a message at our hotline at 609-474-4627. Fellas, are you looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Been fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com and for a limited time only, you'll get 50% off just about any item. But that's not all. Oh, no. When you select your one item at 50% off, you'll also receive three free adult DVDs for a little inspiration, plus a free extra gift so sensual we can't mention it on the radio. And to top it all off, we'll even throw in free shipping on your entire order. And no, we're not teasing. So check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer. Get 50% off one item when you type BABE16 for the offer code upon checkout. When you do, you'll get three free DVDs, a free extra gift, and free shipping. Just use offer code BABE16 at adamandeve.com.
What's the big deal at Seneca Gaming and Entertainment? Live action poker. Endless chances to win. Guaranteed prize pools. Tournaments. Daily events. A bad beat jackpot. Omaha stud and everyone's favorite Texas Hold'em. And thousands of dollars in guaranteed tournament action. Now that's a big deal. Exciting Vegas-style poker. Just off exit 20 on I-86 in Salamanca, New York. Across from McDonald's. Online at SenecaPoker.com. Seneca Gaming and Entertainment. Your new destination for a better game. Hey, this is Dave Weishuttle from House of Cards with your House of Cards gaming report for the week of March 26, 2012. Well, it looks like Massachusetts is off and running in the gaming industry. Last week, all five members of the Massachusetts Gaming Commission were named and sworn in. The commission's role will be to receive and evaluate bids from casino developers in order to build and operate four casinos in the state. One little side note, Commissioner Head Stephen Crosby stated he has never been to a casino to gamble. It should be a fun couple of months in the Bay State. And congratulations to the Sugar House Casino for being named one of the top workplaces in Philadelphia. The casino received the honor as part of the annual contest presented by the Philadelphia Inquirer and the Daily News. Employees filled out anonymous questionnaires about their work environment and the overall job satisfaction. Last year, Sugar House was also voted as one of the best places to work by the Philadelphia Business Journal. And finally, the big day for Atlantic City is upon us. On April 2nd, the Revel Casino will open its doors for a two-month preview period and has booked Beyonce to perform at its grand opening celebration on Memorial Day weekend. By all accounts, the Revel will be a slightly different type of casino for Atlantic City. Instead of windowless gaming floors, the smoke-free casino will feature views of the ocean and make use of the natural light from the outside. So gamblers, be warned when playing. That big yellow thing in the sky is the sun. Have any news or tips regarding casinos, gaming, or legislation? Send us an email at newsroom at houseofcardsradio.com and follow House of Cards on Twitter at HOC Radio. Don't just listen to House of Cards. Now you can be part of the show with the House of Cards hotline. Comments about the show? Poker questions? You just want us to know about great places to play or you just got bluffed out of a pot? Your messages may even be played on the air. Give us a call at 609-474-HOCR. That's 609-474-4627. The House of Cards Hotline, available 24 hours a day. By leaving a message with House of Cards, you can send to having your message played on the air. Some houses are born bad. You're listening to the House of Cards. I never dreamed that any mere physical experience could be so stimulating. Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. And as promised, we have somewhat of a change of pace. Normally, we keep everything upbeat, and it's about how wonderful poker is and the wonderful poker world. Now we have a very entertaining, intelligent, wonderful guest, and we're going to discuss something a little more serious than all the high points of poker. We'll talk about a lot of things, but we will focus, at least in part, on gambling addiction on compulsive gambling. And uh, toward that end, we have with us the author of Six to Five Against, A Gambler's Odyssey, a professor at Laney or Lanny College out on the West Coast in Berkeley, I believe, or Oakland, uh, Bert Dragan. Bert, are you there? Yes, I'm here. First of all, correct my... Um, correct my pronunciation. Is it Laney College? It's Laney College in Oakland. Laney College in Oakland, and you're a professor of journalism there, is correct. that right? Correct. 
Okay. You, did, you mentioned at the beginning that you usually do an upbeat show. I, I'm, I'm hoping this will also be an upbeat show. Well, I didn't mean to imply that you were not going to be an upbeat guest, <laughs> but see. the topic. I understand. You know, usually people think of poker as fun and right. game and also income and the like. Mm-hmm. But there is a darker side to poker, and mm-hmm. I'm hoping that at least in part we can explore that world, which you do- have done, I think, in a very interesting and entertaining but serious way with your book, Six to Five Again. So rather than have me talk about the book, which, I, by the way, I loved reading it. I read it over the last four days, and I couldn't put it down. Oh, thank you very much. And I really I wanted to have you on because I figured uh, if I'm enjoying this book, you could even uh, educate us some more by coming on. Tell us, first of all, a little bit about yourself and your background and how it is you came to write Six to Five Against. Well, I was born in Cleveland, Ohio, but grew up in Los Angeles, and uh, my father... I uh, had dropped out of high school in Cleveland. He was, he was born in Russia, a uh, family of uh, you know, Russian Jews. He was the youngest of six. And when they came here, he wanted to be American. He wanted nothing to do with the old school and the family. And uh, he actually really wanted to be a gangster. There's a photo of him in the beginning of the book when he's 20 years old. And he is dressed like... Uh, like uh, like a gangster. He looks like Sky Masterson, the way yeah, exactly. I, I imagine he would look. Yes, That's exactly right. So in Los Angeles, I happen to recall that our house was uh, 222 miles from Las Vegas. And that's where we went every vacation. And um, I, I still recall, and the first time was uh, 1950, and Vegas really officially opened in 46 when Bugsy Siegel got himself killed for uh, going over budget. And um, so we were there when Vegas was, was new. I was a kid, and um, the first time I, I walked through a, a casino, and I heard all those bells ringing, and I saw this woman uh, with platinum hair, and she pulled down the, slot, the handle of the slot machine, and all these coins came out. And I thought, geez, that is great. And as I was walking through the casino, a pit boss said to me jokingly, hey, get your bet down. And it was just very thrilling and and uh, very glamorous. I remember as a kid, we would go to the shows. My father would at least take us to see the shows. I remember as a kid seeing Judy Garland. And uh, it was just so different from L.A. in, in the 50s. And um, I loved it. And uh, I, I, my father did the gambling. Uh, I didn't know when I was a kid how serious it was uh, until he lost uh, our house. We had a move. To give up my dog. That was that's one of the the burning memories. My father was uh, uh, play, loved to play dice, and he was very good. If you can be good at, at a game like dice, he, he was uh, he knew all. It's funny for a guy who dropped out of high school. You'd think he could have been a math professor or something. I mean, he knew er, the odds and dice are very intricate, and uh, he, he learned them all. But uh, did he, also, he play it in the army? Did he play it when you actually had to know the odds and know what a good bet and a bad bet were? Did he only play it in a casino when the odds were always against him? He played it in um, in the pool rooms and in, in Cleveland first. And no, he didn't get into the army. He was just a little too old. Uh, he was thirty-one, and he had uh, and uh, he had um, two kids. And Roosevelt had said anybody at that age of those kids didn't have to go. And my father's reaction, because I interviewed my father several times about this when he was in his eighties. He lived to be ninety-four. And uh, he told me in the interview he was very disappointed that he couldn't go in the Army. 
because he heard there was a lot of gambling there. <laughs> so that's uh, he was a little naive in in some ways. I in see. fact, I would say he was a child almost his entire life. I see. Nobody had ever told him what was what. I think that was his famous quote, right? That that's was, what he said. But he then when I talked to uh, my uh, cousin who who knew him in Cleveland, my cousin, much, much older than I, than I am, and she told me your father wanted nothing to do with the family. Hmm. So he that, that was I'm getting two different two different stories. Well, let's it. let's get to the the stuff having to do with gambling and poker and addiction. And I have a couple of specific questions for sure. you. Sure. And this is going to get personal. But Bert, you're a professor. You're a very smart guy. Obviously, Thank you're you. very educated as well as being smart. And you surely know that at games like crap and roulette, the player and slots, to be certain, mm-hmm. there's a 92%, if not uh, mm-hmm. a lower return to the player, you're going to mm-hmm. lose in the long mm-hmm. run. And yet, as I read this book, you have been caught up in the, for lack of a better word, the thrill mm-hmm. of gambling. How do you explain both of those things existing in your body at the same time? The knowledge that you're going to lose and yet the thrill about gambling well the thrill that happened mostly in my 20s um i hadn't done the research and um i i wasn't sure why you know when you say you're a very well educated guy <clears throat> i i'm not gonna really agree with that. i mean I have some degrees and i'm teaching but when i it took me nine years to get a bachelor's degree after after high school because i was gambling and, and working and gambling and and doing all that so you know i i didn't know that much all i knew was that either either playing poker and by at this time it was um in tahoe and uh, I just knew it was an incredible thrill, especially throwing a dice. And when you win, almost everybody else at the table wins, except I think I refer in the book to those snakes who bet against the shooter, who have some illusion that if they're with a house, uh, you know, they're going to win. But but they don't, because normally if, if someone throws boxcars at 12, um, if you're against the dice, you're going to win. But not in Vegas, you tie. If you're betting uh, against the shooter, so uh, that's an illusion that they're going to have an advantage. But no, those people who bet against the shooter, and they, guess, you know, they never talk. They're just always so quiet about you know, taking the money, hoping you're going to crap out. But it was just a, a thrill. I had, you know, psychologically, if I want to go into it, um, I can look at my childhood and my, my time in public school and uh, it was a very emotionally frustrating time for me. I was not one of the popular kids, and I desperately wanted to be. So uh, gambling and, and winning and for all these people cheering for me, uh, there were, to me there was nothing else like it. But you, you talk about when you were in your 20s, but as I'm reading your book, this is not just about times when you were in your 20s when you were bitten by that bug. This is not just about times when you were in your 30s. This well, is up until the 90s, at least, where you felt the need to chase, the need to go after a loss by betting more and more until you could kind of recoup your loss because you didn't want that horrible feeling of being a loser. Right. How has that been sustained side by side with your knowledge that over time you are absolutely going to lose? How is it sustained? Yeah. I think mainly by delusion or denial, whatever you want to call it, until that, that one time 
that I was uh, driving back from Tahoe, and I was just about, I, I seem to recall hitting my head on the steering wheel. I remember I was, I was in tears because it was just so frustrating. And just suddenly I said to myself, I mean, I looked at it honestly, I said, why is this? Why can I not stop when I want to? And why did my father, why was he never able to stop? You know, he lost a house. He lost a, a business that he somehow managed to get. Um, I really wanted to know. And um, I went and I said to myself, I'm going to get every book I can find on gambling addiction and read it. Huh. And there are a lot of other books on gambling, the history of gambling, you know, going back to the for, to the Renaissance, Italy. I mean, when I started reading these books, it, it, I, I stopped gambling. I, I just, I was just so elated to read these books. It was just fascinating to me. And, yeah, uh, I think you even compared the feeling of thrill that mm -hmm. you used to get gambling with the thrill, and I don't know if thrill is the actual word that you use, but with the high that you got doing the research for your book. I did. It was a, it was a shock to me that I would be able to stop gambling, and uh, I also was, you know, learning a lot about my father. And, huh. You know, it was all the way back from Renaissance Italy to the latest uh, research in, in gambling addiction. And the people that, who were doing the social scientists, the, I knew the top ones because I was reading all the literature, and almost all of them gave their time and, and talked to me. Well, and, uh, have you stopped gambling? I mentioned in the, um, in the front of the book um, that I have one weekly poker game that to me is methadone. And, uh, you know, like a junkie, he was taking... Oh, I understand what you yeah. mean, yeah. All right, so that's my methadone. And it's a kind of a game where it's just enough where it's it's interesting. It's a $200 buy-in, and after that, the most I would say you could win or lose is five or 600 But, you know, that's real money. And um, we have one guy, uh, and it's dealer's choice, and it's, it's a home game. And these guys, I just was lucky to get into the game. These guys have been playing for 40 years or more. They were all in a fraternity at UC Berkeley. And there's even one guy in the game. Uh, he's a really good player. And he's from, he's from uh, Newton. And we actually have a game called Newton. <laughs> it's, uh, it's five card stud with a bye. And the difference is, in Newton is you can flip uh, your down card. In other words, if you uh, buy an up card. I understand. Okay. Yeah, now, you play this once a week. Now, I remember in your book you talked about having an interim game at the casino. Did you give that up forever, or do you still sometimes go down to the nearest casino and play some Hold'em? Um, Be honest. I, I've been. Uh, <laughs> see, that's one thing about, about a, a problem gambler or compulsive gambler. Um, I haven't done that. Lately, uh, I mean, they would have hold'em tournaments. I, I played in one to write an art newspaper article. Um, that was great fun, although I did lose money. In fact, I remember the beginning of my article. I said uh, I had a, a free lunch that cost me two hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I've had those. Yeah, I've had those. What's your local club of choice? You play in Emeryville, or do you play? Yeah, Emeryville, the Oaks. The club. Oaks. Do you ever play down at Lucky Chances? I haven't been there, no. Okay, well, you know, given what you've told me, I don't think you should go. 
Okay. Uh, uh, let's get to something more personal for me. I noticed that you are maybe not an expert on problem gambling, but you probably know as much as anybody I've ever spoken to. I know a lot about it. Okay, yeah. good. Well, let's do this. I'm going to go on the couch, and you're going to um, ask me some questions because I, I have friends, and I talk about poker a lot. I write about it incessantly. Mm-hmm. I don't play it as much as I'd like, but some of them think I probably play it more than I should and that I've, I'm a compulsive gambler. So why don't you ask me some of the questions that you think would be useful to see whether somebody is a problem gambler, and I'll answer them honestly, and then maybe we can talk about some of the answers. All right. Um, Do you ever borrow money to sustain your gambling? No, I never do. Mm -hmm. I Uh, have, though, I I remember one of the the questions that they ask uh, in Gamblers Anonymous, to get my poker career started, I did sell... Um, some comic books to fund my first... But seriously, they say, have you ever sold personal property to fund Mm -hmm. your gambling? And I started gambling or playing poker by selling about uh, $500 worth of uh, collectible comic books, which gave me a little bit of a bankroll. That's, I think, a reasonable way to get a stake. Um, When you're you're gambling, uh, do you ever gamble more than you think you should and stay a little too long and trying to just get even? Hmm. No, I never stay in order to get even. I have, though, stayed longer than I initially planned to if I found that the game, the poker game, was especially good. Initially, maybe I thought I'd go down and play from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., but I was in a very good game, and I'd stay what was till, the game? Yeah, I mean, if I was playing stud mm-hmm. and I was playing $20, $40 stud at Foxwoods, which I do, again, not as much as I'd like, but maybe more than some people think I should, mm-hmm. I might say, wow, this is a great game. I've got three or four really bad players in this game. I'm going to stay another, well, until they leave, and they mm-hmm. may not leave for three or four hours. But what I don't do is chase losses. If I've lost... If I think I'm still beating the game, in other words, I think I'm still better than my opponents, I may mm-hmm. stay hoping to win, but I would never stay because I had lost. Okay, so far you're okay. Here's right. one. You may be vulnerable to this one. All right. Do you ever find yourself just constantly thinking about gambling? Well, I'm sorry. I was uh, I was just thinking about playing poker. No, I, I <laughs> yes, I no. This is this is a very good and telling question. I often think about playing poker, like when I'm going to play or where am I going to go. I haven't found that it has interfered with the rest of the stuff I do, but my friends and family might say, you talk about it all the time. Mm -hmm. So the only honest answer I can give you is, yes, I find myself thinking about playing poker a lot. Yes. Okay. And have you ever lied to relatives or close friends uh, about your poker playing? In other words, have you... Ever said I won when I really lost? Or that, or also that you were not playing when you really were? No, I have never done that. If anything, uh, well, let let me be absolutely honest. I may have said to people that I work with... Mm-hmm. Just to avoid having a discussion, they may have said, "No, seriously, they may have said." So I heard you, you told us you were going to Foxwoods this weekend. How'd you do? Mm-hmm. And I might say, if, even if I had lost fifteen hundred dollars, I might say something like, "Oh, fine, I had a great uh-huh. time." I might avoid the topic so I didn't have to get into the details, the somewhat dirty details of how much I lost. But I would never say, "I'm going to uh, Revere." 
uh, when I was really going to Foxwoods, and I certainly would never lie to any to my wife or to my kids about playing or anything like that. I've never had to hide it. If anything, I'm uh, maybe overly proud of my poker play. Uh, no, it sounds like you've got it under control, and I, I would say if somebody plays uh, consistently and they're they're showing a profit and they love it. Um, and they they know when to stop. They don't find themselves chasing losses. Um, I think they're a good poker player, and I think that's fine. And it's it's you could consider it, uh, you know, recreational or just a, a very good uh, a hobby that you love to do. I think that's great. But the question is, how many of the people in the casino, how many people in the card room, should not be there? And there's guesses. You know, if you talk about you know the national gambling uh i forgot the name of it the one that's supported by the industry right uh, they say two percent or something yeah right? let's say it's under you know two percent or so when i uh was doing my research um th- there was uh the national gambling commission was formed in 1996 and in 1999 they came out with their the only really major study uh they've done and i remember reading somewhere uh, about a study this is very informal people who just stood outside casinos in las vegas and asked people if they lost more than they planned to and according to what i read and this is not in report it was kept out of the report because it wasn't supposedly you know scientifically uh, official or supportable but the person people who did it said Thirty percent of the people said they lost more than they wow. intended. Wow, and that's self-reported. That's and you imagine it's probably larger than that because a lot of people are deluding themselves and anybody who asks. Right. So I I think it's a lot higher. And uh, in one of the books, this guy uh, Tim O'Brien had interviewed some of the same people that uh, I interviewed. And Tim O'Brien is he the same guy that wrote the things they carried? The novelist, the worldwide. No, it's a, I heard that guy on the radio today. Oh, <laughs> that Tim O'Brien you're talking about, right? But no, this is a different one. It, maybe it wasn't Tim. I thought that it was. I know it was O'Brien, and uh, he taught. He interviewed uh, this guy. I, his last name was Eddington, and he was at uh, UN, one of the one of the Nevada university campuses. Right, and he said without the problems problem in compulsive gamblers, Vegas would go broke. They, oh. they just wouldn't be able to sustain it, and naturally the industry disputes that. Bert, I got, I'm getting the high sign from our producer. I want two things. First, I want you to tell our listeners how they can get a copy of this book. We'll put whatever you tell us on our website, but how do people get a copy of 6 to 5 Against? I would prefer that they do it this way. Go ahead, tell me. That they send me uh, $10 yep. plus uh, an envelope big enough. It's a, it's a regular uh, paperback, I think 6 and a half by 8 and a half, something like that just your regular paperback and send me the the envelope where I can mail it back to you and I will inscribe it to you and, and sign it. So right. just, what's the address? It's uh, my name, B-U-R-T, Dragon, D-R-A-G-I-N, Laney College, L-A-N-E-Y, yep. 900 Fallon Street, F is in Frank, A-L-L-O-N yes. Street, Oakland, California. Okay. Nine four six zero seven. All right, I'm not going to repeat that in the interest of time, but we right. will put it on our site. Great. And one last quick answer: yes or no? Should poker casinos in general be legal or illegal? Legal. 
Very good. Bert, you've been a wonderful guest, and if you ever have another writing project that you want people to know about in the poker world, please give me a call, send me an email so we can put you back on. I definitely will, and I may say hello if I get into the Boston area. Great. That's Bert Dragan, 6 to 5 against A Gambler's Odyssey. Listeners, will be back after a break. Hi, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. I just wanted to uh, mention something, that if any of you have any poker questions that you would like to ask, we are always interested in your questions and comments about the show, about the guests, strategy questions. They could be practical questions about where and how to find the game. Send your questions to info at houseofcardsradio.com. Com. And you can also get our tweets on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash HOC radio. We're very interested in them. And, of course, if they are particularly interesting, we'll put them on the air and answer them here in our segment of Mailbag. Info at houseofcardsradio.com and www.twitter.com slash HOC radio. Info at houseofcardsradio.com and www.twitter.com. Dot com slash HOC radio. Hey, you looking for poker tournaments or the latest promotions at Foxwoods, Mohegan Sun, and Twin River? Or want to find out what's happening in Las Vegas, Atlantic City, and other casinos around the country? Then check out New England Gaming News for all the latest news, events, and hot casino action from around the region. Visit the NEGN.com and sign up for exclusive specials and promotions. That's www.thenegn.com. The New England Gaming News, New England's only resource for complete casino and poker news. This week at Boredom's Books, children's books are on sale. Choose from You're Different, and That's Bad. The Boy That Died from Eating All His Vegetables. Dad's New Wife, Robert. Fun four-letter words to know and share. Hammers, screwdrivers, and scissors. The I Can Do It book. A children's guide to hitchhiking. Kathy was so bad, her mom stopped loving her. Curious George and the High Voltage Fence. All cats go to hell. The Little Sissy Who Snitched. Some kittens can't fly. That's it. I'm putting you up for adoption. Grandpa gets a casket. The magic world inside the abandoned refrigerator. Strangers have the best candy. You were an accident. Things rich kids have, but you never will. Your nightmares are real. Eggs, toilet paper, and your school. Daddy drinks because you cry. On sale this week at Boredom's Books. You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. You're listening to the House of Cards. The way I see it, poker's like some kind of cosmic metaphor. It's like even though the cards fall in a random order that you can't possibly predict, you can still beat them. Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. I'm here for the mailbag segment with my producer, one of my producers, Dave Weishattel. Dave, what do you got this week? Well, welcome back from Scotland, and <laughs> I have about a million questions to ask you. All right. Well, I'm ready. I had a great time. What's what's on your mind? Well, first of all, did you go just to play poker, or was that a 
integral part of your trip? Or? I went with my wife okay. uh, to play poker and to tour the city of Edinburgh and see my cousin and her husband. But I really wanted to sample the poker world uh, in Edinburgh. I wasn't prepared to go drive to Glasgow or other poker rooms. I got to be honest with you. When I think Scotland, I don't think poker. <laughs> Is it a live and vibrant scene there, or uh, do they have casinos? Do they have card rooms? What What can I expect if I go over to Scotland to oh, play poker? Well, you got a great scene. Um, first of all, it's not surprising you don't think of poker when you go there, but there's poker now just about everywhere in the United Kingdom. Ireland has dozens of rooms. Scotland has. A bunch of rooms, maybe 20, mm-hmm. uh, but only two public rooms in Edinburgh. Uh, the two rooms are the Circus Casino, which is in the Fountain Bridge or Fountain Head, little shopping area. And then they have the Mayberry Casino, which is out by the airport. Circus, which is uh, where I played most of my poker, is a very interesting place. It's not like an American casino. It's, um, it's more like a, like a Kmart version of a casino nice um you know, i was trying to picture a casino in scotland are they is it like a atlantic city type of thing with a no, hotel attached no, no. to it is it imagine a mall okay that has a movie theater a bowling alley a uh, couple of stores shops and then one of the areas one of the stores is a casino not garish no big bright lights no entertainers just a place where you can go. In fact, it's downstairs. You go into an entrance. It's on the ground level. You're met by a receptionist. There are some prints on the wall of uh, casino scenes, old casinos, I mean, okay. uh, casino, old circus scenes from okay. the 1920s or even earlier. And they check your ID. They tell you to take your hat off. They tell you to check your bag. And then they admit you free. Then you walk down the stairs, and there's a very small... Uh, very sedate. Maybe there were 20 people when I was there, uh, maybe 30. Um, there's a couple of roulette wheels, a couple of blackjack tables, one of each in play. Uh, maybe there was a craps table. I don't remember. They had an automated roulette table, uh, and they had a couple, three, maybe 10 slot machines. And then after that area, there's another room, no door, just another area where there's um, – three or four poker tables, one of which was occupied. And uh, that's the casino. Wow. That's it. And so when you're used to Foxwoods, which is maybe a thousand times as big, it's a small place. It's not done up in any particular theme. Like It's not like uh, Elizabethan era, people walking around, or, or <laughs> King Arthur's round table, or out in the heath, or people eating haggis or something. It's just So, so they don't really play up Scotland. Not at all. Uh... No, it could be. A very, very, very small casino in Las Vegas, except there's no there's, like oh, there's a nice, poker palace type of thing. Yeah, except much, much <laughs> newer and cleaner, and there's no smoking allowed. They have a nice restaurant also in there. And it seems like, you know how you tell some people say, well, you know, if you want to raise kids that don't become alcoholics, serve them beer and wine even when they're in their teens at home. So they become accustomed to it, and it's not a big deal. Well, that's kind of like the idea behind this casino, it seemed, which is, you know, people come in, 
They're not jonesing to gamble all their money away. It's not Las Vegas where there's all this pent-up, no gambling allowed anywhere else in the country for decades, but you can go to Las Vegas. So it's gambling <laughs> like crazy. It's, well, we allow gambling, and there are all sorts of shops all over the city of Edinburgh. There must be 10 or 15 little places like off-track betting where you can make bets on horses and sports and the like. So it's no big deal. You go there, you and a date or your wife or a bunch of friends might go, and you have a little to drink, and you have dinner, and you spend a little bit on blackjack. But poker, I find, is similar wherever you go. And at the Circus Casino, they had a one-two pounds, not dollars, uh, game every night. Started at eight with a tournament, typically a small tournament, 10, 15, 20, 30 pounds with some rebuys and some add-ons. And then they, after that, they'd have a cash game that would run till 5.30 in the morning. The cash game is the best bargain I have ever seen in all of my 250 or 300 public poker rooms. I was about to ask you about the rake there. Oh, yeah. That's... The rake is on, There is no rake. Oh, they have a really? time charge. Okay. A time charge where you pay three pounds per hour. Wow. Compared to 12 to $15 an hour in rake that you're paying. So three pounds an hour. So you're basically renting a seat. Yeah. It's it's actually what happens at the higher stakes tables. It used to be in California, it would be all tables would be done like this. But now it's pretty much if you're playing above 2040, you pay a time charge in the American casino, which ranges from $8 a half an hour to as much as $13 or $14 a half an hour for like a $150, $300 game. So to be paying... Five, uh, three pounds an hour, uh, one and a half pounds a half an hour, is practically free. It's really very, very, very cheap. Um, I guess they don't make their money on poker. No, like the- <laughs> no, it's a service. Uh, sometimes they even, I mean, they even charge less. Uh, on Sundays, they're trying to get games going early. So that is the place to play for cash. I play. So that's called the Circus. Circus Casino, yes. Circus Casino. And it's owned by some larger group, but it's known as Circus Casino. I think it's in Fountainhead or Fountain Point or Fountain something. And as it turned out, total coincidence, I booked a room online uh, because my cousin, who's been there for a long time, said, why don't you book one of these places? It's near where I live. I booked a bed and breakfast for my wife and for me about a block from my cousin. Very nice place. But that's it. We're going to take, uh, we're going to end the show. Listeners, come back next week. Good night, good day, and uh, goodbye. podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.